I could just stay in this lane and, and become pessary queen, or I could do what I really want, which is to really go out and catch babies and to be with women in labor and birth and to support them in moments of very, very challenging transition. And, and I knew for me, like, yeah. all right, it's time to make a change, despite how uncomfortable it feels to go and ask my chair for the opportunity. I'm Marsha Batty, registered nurse and online business mentor. I love sharing stories of a nurse's journey to entrepreneurship. What's my journey? Well, a few years back, I quit my job and I started a boutique travel firm in an industry I knew nothing about. I created premium packages and I toured private clients around some of my favorite places in Greece and in Turkey, and I blogged about it along the way. That experience taught me that business is all about leaping past fear and jumping into action. Now I work to help smart, ambitious women transform ideas into a business by teaching them how to create digital products, online courses, and live and virtual events. And I can help you do the same. So you're in the right place. Welcome to the Marsha, Marsha, Marsha podcast. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is the self-care series where I have the opportunity to speak with several nurses in the online space who share some tips and strategies around self-care. In this particular episode, we're going to speak with Anne Conkley. She's a certified nurse midwife and a certified life coach where she actually helps nurses live the good life. So in this particular episode, Anne shares some of what seems to be the theme of this episode, her own tenets in her coaching practice with nurses. One, living in awareness. Two, living authentically. Three, living in alignment. And that just flows throughout this episode. Anne shares also many stories, including a time in her career where she had to directly ask for what she wants. Uh, She later shared how an obstetric emergency led her to pause and then move out of that practice into a coaching practice. We talk about some of her favorite self-care tips and strategies, and then we even managed to talk about poop, or I managed to talk about poop in this particular episode, so my apologies for that. Um, You're going to love this episode. A little bit of trouble with the sound on both of our ends, but that's okay. I think you should listen in. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so excited today about this self-care series. I am welcoming Anne Conkley to the podcast. She is a certified nurse midwife and also a certified life and business coach. And let's take a moment to welcome Anne. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. And so I'm I'm so excited to have you on this series because you are one of the nurses that I follow who are uh, engaging in self-care um, and it's visible to others. And I love the way that you put yourself out there and show others how it's done the right way. So um, first of all, before we get to the self-care strategies and the tips that you have for us, I would like to know what's your nursing story? What made you become a nurse? So I, um, I've been a nurse since 2004 and I, I became a nurse because I wanted to become a midwife. That was my goal. Many, many years ago, I was, I saw water birth on TV and I was fascinated by birth. And I just, um, it was one thing that I couldn't, I just knew, I mean, even from a young age, I don't even know how old I was. I was somewhere probably 
seven to nine, maybe, I don't know. And I saw a birth on TV and I thought this is, I don't know what that is, but I just love it. And I want, I want to be in it. Um, and so, um, you know, I, we had, we have many, many nurses in my family. My mom's a nurse and my grandma's a nurse. My aunt and godmom is a nurse and my sister-in-law's a nurse. I've got cousins who are nurses. I mean, we've just got a ton of nurses. And so nursing felt like it was a very viable option because I saw many women doing it in my, you know, my family. And then, um, I chose midwifery in particular because, you know, as I started to think about obstetrics and care of, you know, women and how, which vehicle to use nursing, number one, felt familiar. And number two, um, I knew with midwifery that that felt like it was a really good fit for me. It was very intervention based. It was, uh, it was, you know, um, use of interventions with reason. It was working with women. It was shared decision-making. It was this, it was a, what I didn't know at the time, which I kind of can look back now and say, it was probably a very non-patriarchal approach to the care of women and, you know, labor and birth. And so, um, so I went and, you know, and I, I discovered this in a little bit of a, you know, some people I think have this call to be a nurse. I figured that out in a very stepwise approach. It took me maybe a little bit of a, a non-linear path, so to speak. So I went and got a, my initial psych degree and then I got an accelerated nursing degree. And, but I knew going to nursing school that that was going to be the path for me to becoming a midwife. So I did a year in L&D and I um, then applied very quickly to the um, dual program at University of Illinois in Chicago. Um, and then started, you know, graduated there and started my career as a, um, in an ambulatory position off the bat as a, um, mostly working as a women's health NP and, um, and then moved into a full scope midwifery role. Um, and, you know, had an 11 year career as a, you know, catching babies and, um, doing women's health. And I love nursing. I think it's a, it's a profession that I think for me has been, it was a stepping stone for me, interestingly, looking back, I don't think I knew that, um, you know, at the beginning, but it's a, it, it's a, it's a career that I think is foundational to what happens in this country and around the world in terms of the care of other humans. And I mean, this, you know, care, healthcare wouldn't exist without nurses. And so for that, I think it's, yes. <laughs> it's it, right. It's, it's like the foundation of, of so much that happens. And, um, and I love that. I'd love to th look at our profession and say, you know, we changed the world with nursing. We really do. And, um, that's evidenced by patients and communities that are better off for having nurses and prevention and public health measures. And so, so I, I, um, I'm grateful to the career and I love it, but, but my, I guess my path there was a little more, you know, which is always yeah. maybe for some of us more, you know, how it happens. Oh yeah. How it happens. Uh, I'm curious, how was that transfer, uh, transition for you when you, um, started off in an ambulatory practice or, um, maternal health and how you went into, uh, the actual practice of now catching babies. How was that trans uh, transition for you? Well, it was, you know, when I moved, when I finished my degree, um, I, my husband and I at that time moved back to Cleveland. We had been in Chicago for many years doing school and stuff. So when I moved back to Cleveland, I didn't have much of a network there, not nearly the network. And I had left Chicago with three offers for midwifery positions at that time. Oh. And so, but I knew we were, you know, we were going to put down some roots. We're from Cleveland originally. And so I knew it just felt like a right time to make the transition and to go. And so, 
Um, but when we got here, my network was um, minuscule, minuscule at best. So my aunt, who my aunt and godmom uh, was a is a nurse and had a large leadership role with Kaiser Permanente, which was here in Cleveland. Oh, yeah many years ago. And so she got me hooked up. You know, it's so funny. I tell a lot of my clients, you know, warm, warm leads lead to jobs. And I think there's <laughs> good data to support it, right? Two out of three job yeah. offers come from warm leads, meaning the people in your network, the people who, you know, a third of them come from cold where you're just, you know, don't know anybody in the practice. And so Absolutely. she said, Hey, you know, this, the OBGYN department's looking for somebody, but you, you probably aren't going to be able to practice as a midwife. And I thought, I'm, you know, all right, I'll, okay. I mean, I guess I'll figure it out. So I had talked with their department chair and he said, you know, he said, essentially they were like, you can't, don't tell anybody you're a midwife. Cause we had midwives about 10 years ago and we canned all of them. And it's a little bit, you know, hairy on whether or not we're supposed to, from a legal standpoint, able to employ them. So you're just going to work as a WHMP. And I was like, I don't care. I just want to work. I, do you know what I mean? I just want to, I want to work. I love this profession. I, I, yeah. what up? So, so I started off in this ambulatory role. Um, and you know, five days a week, every other Saturday. And, um, I worked there for, uh, just a little under three years. And while I was there, I negotiated to become full, to have full scope practice. You know, I, mm. as they started to know me and, you know, I was like, let me take some call. Let me go do some rounds. Let me get me credential that our, you know, our, the hospital where we caught. Um, and, uh, and, and they, you know, my chair was very supportive and is a close friend still. And, uh, you know, he's like, all right, let's do it. And so I made, you know, I, I made it work, but I knew getting my foot in the door was a good first step. And I was hungry for a position, you know, I just wanted to to get out there and start working. So, so, but it, it was the beginning and, and I negotiated and ended up by the end when I left, I was catching some babies, doing rounds, seeing patients in the office and, um, and then transitioned uh, to a, a separate practice that was an academic at an academic medical center. Well, I have to say too, you have a, a, a recent episode on um, uh, jobs and interviewing and how sometimes uh, some people are. Uh, having some type of connections within hospital systems that can help them get their foot in the door. And sometimes that's the the way that some do it. And sometimes others don't have that um, advantage. Um, And just to, I can't think of the name of the episode right now, but I encourage everybody to go back and listen to um, one of uh, Anne's podcast episodes. I think it's probably number 15, 16, or 17, something along that line of your episodes. But we'll talk about your podcast later. But I just wanted to put that out there that you actually talk about um, when things don't go your way, um, in terms of hiring um, and getting the job or getting the opportunity. And I thought that was a really good episode and I'm glad you touched on it here. So um, in terms of midwifery, um, for those who are um, looking into midwifery, um, what's your advice to them right now? What could have, what kind of advice can you give them? Because um, it seems like you went into a position and you advocated for increasing your role and you advocated for an opportunity for yourself. Um, and sometimes that's hard for us to do as nurses because we're so altruistic. We want to give back. We want to help others. But when it comes to helping ourselves, that's something that's really, really hard to do for ourselves. What kind of uh, strategies or tips can you give around that? Or what's your best strategy or tip around that? I think, you know, at some point you get to choose whether or not you're going to adhere to what you're given or you're going to ask for more. And it really comes down to just making a simple choice and making a decision. Either I become the person who takes what she's given or I become the person who asks for what she wants or becomes the person who furthermore goes out and builds or creates exactly what she wants. And so I think when, you know, there's, 
when you're handed something, you know, for me, it was again, this position, don't tell anybody you're a midwife, just function as an NP role. <laughs> you know, and it was funny, even when my aunt, my, I'll never forget my aunt just being like, you might not be able to see any pregnant people. And I was like, uh, okay. I was like, well, <laughs> all right. I mean, okay. I can still, I have an entire discipline of gynae care. Yeah. I, 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 great. I'll do all gynae care. And, yeah. and interestingly, you know, my first year at Kaiser and one will get pregnant, right? <laughs> you know, well, it was so interesting because <laughs> my patient population at Kaiser, I had so many women who used pessaries who were in their mm late 60s, 70s, oh. 80s. And I remember like, you know, my, one of my colleagues who was a PA and she was lovely. She taught me all I knew about pessaries. And I, I remember thinking, you know, I, I could become a pessary queen, you know, like, <laughs> right. Like if this is how, you know, like this is what's in front of me, you know, yeah. my colleague, my PA colleague who taught, she was the pastor queen. She taught me all of this, you know, really good data information and, and the structure and the kind of formula, how to choose them. And, and I thought I could become a pastor queen. And then I thought, I don't desire to become a pessary queen <laughs> and not to say we shouldn't, right? Like I don't yeah. mind having it as a part of my practice, but it wasn't where I wanted to really develop my skill and hone my craft. And so I remember that moment thinking, all right, you know, you can stay in the lane of what you have, or you can just ask for what you desire. And, and, you know, it, it's interesting that in our profession, we have a lot of people, as you said, who come into it for, with a strong desire to help others and with a strong desire to um, provide care and to provide compassion in places where, you know, it's not always present. It's not always been present. And, and in tough moments, right? And so I think of if we are coming into the profession to do that for others, why would we not do it for ourselves too, right? Why wouldn't I look at that and say, if I were compassionate to myself right now, what would that mean? Well, it would mean that I wouldn't stay in places where I didn't feel like I was, you know, in, um, in, in like living my full potential. Yeah. yeah, or it matched my values or it allowed me to grow into the next version of myself that will change the world. And so, you know, I, and, and look, just to be very, very clear, we are many of us who identify as women in particular are socialized into reasons, you know, thinking that we ought not be those people and we shouldn't ask for too much and we should take what we're given and uh, we shouldn't fuss too much or, you know, we shouldn't negotiate or advocate for ourselves. And so yeah. it's you know, not, I just want to point out, this is not nothing to be ashamed of or to look and say, well, I'm that person. I was that person too for a long time. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. And so, and as are many of us until I think we get to a point where we say, wow, I could make the, I could just stay in this lane and, and become pessary queen, or I could do what I really want, which is to really go out and catch babies and to be with women in labor and birth and to support them in moments of very, very challenging transition. And, and I knew for me, like, yeah. all right, it's time to make a change, despite how uncomfortable it feels to go and ask my chair for the opportunity. And they were pretty receptive and supportive in that decision. And that yeah. desire, that ask that you had, tip number yeah. one, that ask for your what you desire. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I, and I look back, my style is always that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a very, I'm, I'm somewhat of a slow mover when I'm thinking and when I'm figuring things out, right? And I don't have a problem being very disciplined, 
being very consistent and then going in for the kill. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes, so I I look back at that position and I think, you know, so I knew I was going to get in there. Mm -hmm. Again, they had a very negative view of midwives. They were, they were like these midwives we had, you know, they were, I'm throwing out their quotes, terrible. (laughs) And so I knew I was coming in and I was going to have to work to to number one, to change it, to be, to be evidence of what could be possible with, if you were to invest and on your staff, having an advanced practice nurse who was a midwife and who was an NB. And I, I knew I had work to do there. Like I was, I was coming in like a deficit, I felt like. So for me, I just knew, all right, for the first year, just put your head down, get, you know, do the work, see the patients five days a week, sometimes six days a week. Mm -hmm. And you know, create the, um, create the atmosphere where it could be feel very easy to ask for, you know, your next step. And that's what I did. I waited probably about a year ish, um, and went into my chair and said, you know, I, I would really like to help. And this feels like it's an important transition for me in my career. Um, do you think that you can accommodate that? And she was like, we hadn't, you know, she's like, we hadn't really expect, we had changed chairs at that time. And mm-hmm. she said, we hadn't really anticipated it. However, I think, you know, we don't want to lose you. And we really appreciate, you know, I mean, I was seeing tons of patients in the office at yeah. that point. Um, I was a serve. I mean, I was a valuable tool in the office because all of my partners were, they were in the OR. I was there five days a week and I was held down a lot of that clinic. So, you know, she was like, all right, I think we can, maybe we let's try it. And I said, great. So we tried it and we just yeah. you know, plotted out, you know, something that would work for me and would work for them in terms of coverage. And, and that's how it started. That's amazing. And, and just to go back and think if you had to do it all over again, would you wait a year? Would, do you think that was the right timing for you? And do you think that's a, an individual sort of, I guess it is an individual decision, but would you have waited a year if you look back now and think about it, or would you um, have asked a, a little bit earlier, or do you think it was the perfect time? You know, I talk about this a lot with my business coaching clients and we talk, and and especially in my um, Women to Cultivate, which is my group coaching program, we talk about, you know, becoming the women who, um, becoming the person who can sit comfortably at the negotiating table, becoming the advanced practice nurse who asks for what she desires, becoming the midwife who feels uh, called to do something different maybe than she's currently doing. And what's interesting is that those things happen in a, in a, you know, in a pace of their own. And there's a certain process that happens, the process of becoming, becoming that person who can sit at the table, you know, from a place of power, from a place of confidence, from a place of sufficiency and abundance, and who can ask for what she desires without, you know, scarcity, without fear. And so for me, that was, a. Uh, I don't know that I would have been able to do it before then because I just, I think it took me that time to get my feet wet. It took me that time to build my confidence and to really build my belief that it was possible for me. It was probably always possible in general. It just was that I, yeah. I lacked maybe some belief that it was possible for me at that time. Right. And so, right. And sometimes we have to build up to that. Yeah. Yes. And so we just, so I think it happened as it, as it was designed to happen. And it was a, um, you know, that was just the path it had to go. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So with that, um, uh, you know, asking for what you want, getting what you want and having a thriving practice for a number of years, 
what made you take the leap into actually starting something for yourself in terms of opening your own coaching practice and actually getting certified as a life coach and a business coach? What made you take that route? I was at a point in my career where I felt out of alignment. I felt restless in mm-hmm. the most part. And and it was, I had had a, um, a shoulder dystocia as a midwife and, you know, they're for those of us who aren't in the field of obstetrics, children searches are obstetric emergencies and we're trained as birth professionals to do them. And um, so it's not, you know, it, it's not a, um, not something that is out of my scope. I had a shoulder distortion. It was a tough one. And, um, and everybody was fine. You know, I had a healthy mom and healthy baby after that, but but for me, it really, it really, really like shook me. Like I remember standing there after the birth and shaking. I remember putting my hands on the table and my body was shaking. And the nurse was talking to me because I had to um, draw blood, gla- uh, do a set of blood gases on the um, cord segment. And I was, I could hardly, I had to, couldn't do it actually. I had to ask one of the other nurses to come over and do it because I was so, I, my yeah. hands were just, shaking my body was shaking my voice was shaking and it was interesting because after you know I started to notice that I think number one you know it's always a combination of a little bit of trauma I think for some of us who go through some of these experiences and a little bit of trauma and then a little bit of you know I think the universe universe saying are you doing is this what you're supposed to be doing now not 10 years ago, not five years ago, not two years ago. Now, yeah. is this the work? Is this where you are to be, you know, going forward? And I, I just, you know, for me, I, that experience was, it was really intense. And I, I think it made me pause and it really brought up a lot of these questions. Like, is this what I want to do? And I, I remember, you know, I had a, um, we had a very robust quality um, program um, at my last institution. And so I, you know, whether it was risk management or quality improvements and PDSAs and, and I remember doing a PDSA or doing actually a, a RCA on this patient right after we sat down. And I remember seeing all of the gaps, you know, and, and we talk a lot about, we used to talk a lot about Swiss cheese model, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's just like in soccer, it's not the goalie's fault actually when the ball goes in the net, right? Like it's every defender up to that point had a a place, you know, a, um, a play to do that, that he or she, or they may have missed. And it's the same thing in healthcare and Swiss cheese model, I think, you know, helps encapsulate that in a way that allows us to avoid shame and guilt and blame in particular. And so I remember looking when we were doing the RCA and thinking, boy, there were so many times when we uh, missed the boat in terms of our care. That was at least my feel of it. And, um, and I wondered, are, did those lead up to the events that played out when I was there catching? Cause I had not met this patient prior to, right. And that was how our group was set up. We had a large uh, academic midwifery practice and, you know, we would see patients in the office and then I would go on call and do shift work for a call and whoever came in, I caught, right. And I cared for, and that was, that was uh, how it, how it went. So I just remember doing, looking back and thinking, is this how I want to do it? And, and what came up for me the most was that I, I, it bothered me not to have that amount of control mm. and not to have that amount of, you know, um, power to make, to make changes. And as most of us know, when we go through organizations and organizational structures and hierarchies, 
especially in healthcare, we're fighting up against a very patriarchal model, which typically still has many white cisgender men at the top. And in addition, we are up against, um, you know, the, uh, the profession of nursing versus medicine. And then we are, and whether or not nurses can get into positions where you can actually affect change. Right. Yes. And then we know that there's also this development of humans that occurs in an organizational standpoint in terms of their ability to become people who can woo and influence. And that takes anywhere from four to five years. And so it's, it's, so all those things, I just remember thinking like, oh hell, I just, this is not where I'm meant to be. And I thought of going the CNO route and I thought, you know, maybe I'm supposed to go up and, you know, do director of nursing. I had applied for a couple of those roles and I was like, I don't, this just is not, it's just, (laughs) this this isn't it. And it just doesn't quench the thirst of, you know, having that kind of level of control and, and moving the needle, right? Those were the two things that to me just felt like, you know, I, that's what I desire to create in the world, right? Opportunities to improve impact, number one. And then number two, um, uh, positions where I can be in control, not from a standpoint of being controlling, but where I can affect change and I can be the one who can say yes to no, you know, yes or no. So all of that was brewing. And then I ended up, you know, we opened a medical, um, a, an ambulatory center here, here in Cleveland, and I was the medical director of it. And it was this three or four year journey of, you know, creating plans and, you know, doing site visits of places across the country and and then designing this uh, center and then uh, opening it and, and building it and watching the beams go up. I mean, it was fascinating, but I, that was the nail in the coffin for me. Cause I was like, I got to get out of here. Like oh. I love this process <laughs> of building and designing and doing, right. It was like a long, it was, it, it was like a long PDSA cycle. It's just mm-hmm. like, you just keep going, you keep iterating until you get to what you want. And so after that, I was like, I got to get out of here. Meanwhile, I was getting my MBA. Cause I was like, maybe an MBA will help me figure out what I want kind of did, but mostly not, but whatever. <laughs> That's a whole other story. And then I um, I had also asked, I had also seen this, we, that my boss and I had been doing some professional development at Case Western Reserve University, which is here oh, in Cleveland. Cleveland. And we had done like a handful of courses that through their executive education program, they're really good. And one of the courses they offered was this coach certificate program. And I thought, oh, okay. that kind of sounds interesting. Like, yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting. We always joked um, you know, and I've shared this on my podcast. I think we've always joked, you know, some of my colleagues, like we're just, you know, midwives are just life coaches who also know how to catch babies. Like that's a lot of what we do. Oh. Like, <laughs> a lot of conversations, a lot of shared decision-making, a lot of creating safe space for people, a lot of, you know, being there in moments of transition or moments when it gets really heavy and hard. And, um, and so, so I just thought, I'll just go get a coach certificate. Like that'll be fun. And so I asked my chair at the time and I was like, can you send me for this? He said, yeah. And so, um, so they sent me there. And, and after that, it wasn't until I was in my, I had taken this course called living the good life. And I always laugh if it had been called entrepreneurship 101, I wouldn't have taken it because I would have said, I don't, you know, I don't even know what that is. It's not really for me. Probably it's for some men. And, um, (laughs) And so, but it was called living the good life. And I knew I wanted that. I was like, I'll take two actually sign me <laughs> up. And so, and then in that class, I, I had, I watched this coach come in and she was, um, had, t- she talked about how she had built her business and had a huge business. And I was like, oh my God, I could totally do that. Like I could do that. And that was my thought. 
that was that one powerful thought that really changed things. And after that class, I, I went home and I told my husband, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm building, I'm going to build a coaching yeah. practice. I'm going to build a business. And, um, I, you know, a couple of weeks later I resigned and, you know, started to plot out kind of the next awesome. um, steps. So it was again, a very, it was a stepwise, you know, these things yeah. don't often, well, maybe they do reveal themselves <laughs> to us in the moment. I just may be a person who doesn't always take the signals. You know what I mean? I may be like, no, that's not for me, you know? Right, right. It just keeps coming and keeps yeah. coming. So. Well, that's awesome. And um, for those of you listening, um, Anne does help nurses out there live the good life, um, which was uh, the start of her coaching practice. So tell us about what you do in your coaching practice. What is it that nurses can get out of your programs? What What is it that you hope they will leave um, with? What are the gyms? I want them to, I want them to be so bold and courageous and to sit from a place of deep power within themselves and define what it means to live their version of the good life. I've done it. I've, I've, and I've, I want to, I want to see every other nurse that's out there do it. Um, and I, I love taking them on that journey. I want them to define what it means. What's the schedule that you want? What kind of money do you want to make? What kind of financial stability or wealth do you desire to build for your family? What kind of, uh, commitments and um, opportunities do you want to create in your communities? Uh, what kind of impact do you want to have for your patients or your clients? And I want, I want them to have those opportunities, um, to create that vision and then, take a stepwise approach to get there. And I also, you know, my clients know, we talk a lot about the three A's, which are awareness, you know, becoming a person who's aware of where, where sometimes maybe she gets stuck, like Mm -hmm. the people pleasing or the altruistic stuff, you know, which we were talking about. Um, And uh, uh, the second piece is authenticity, right? Like knowing how you show up in the world, knowing what your values are, knowing what your strengths are, um, you know, using them to your advantage, like harnessing your strengths so that, you know, and doubling down on them so that you can make, you know, create impact in the world or for yourself. And then, and then the third day is alignment. And I, my belief is that when you combine awareness and authenticity, it's so much easier to create alignment or to create your version of the good life. And so all of my, you know, my group coaching program for advanced practice nurses, we talk a lot about that. Um, in women who cultivate. And then for my one-on-one business coaching clients, we really, you know, take those principles and we apply them to the setting of business and say, okay, if I was going to use business as the vehicle to support me creating my version of the good life, what would that, what could that look like? Um, you know, and so, and then I think the other piece of it is that for one of the things that I, I always thought was that, you know, the good life was outside of me, right. It had to be, on, you know, um, it was, and, and, and it's funny because I, I talk about this now and like my version of the good life actually is <laughs> like, I've got a lot of things that I like, right? Like yeah. we just flew, we just flew to, I took my, we took our family to, um, Europe. We went for, you know, a little under three weeks and we flew their business class and I was amazing. like, amazing. Right. And I was like, this is my version of living. Yeah. It's called business class and it's called champagne. Mm-hmm. Like I like that. <laughs> It's called beautiful sunsets and it's called gorgeous, um, you know, seaside villas. Like that's so right. So that's a part of my vision of version of living the good life, like enjoying what there is out there and being able to experience all of it. And then there's also this piece of me that, you know, over the past couple of years that I've really come back to, which is that 
you know, you can decide to live the good life today, right? Like it doesn't, for a lot of people, it doesn't need to be anything that's outside of them, you know, first class or business class or, you know, Hawaii or, right? Like living the good life today, what does that mean to me? That means that I, you know, I look around and I think, wow, like, look at all the epic shit I've done in my life. Yeah. Or, right, it means like, wow, I have looking at the relationships that I've cultivated in my life and saying, wow, I did that. Like I, I created that. Looking for evidence in the world of where I've, you know, been a change agent, where I've supported other people around me or looking at my 30 patients a day and saying, I did that. Like I, right. I create a ton of value for people every single day. And so I think that's part of it, which is that it's this, you know, it's, it's like a twofold approach, right? It's like, well, how can you look for what is already there and how can you kind of look from a place of within, right? If, if I were to believe that I have everything I need, I come from a place of abundance, I feel fully hundred percent worthy and sufficient in all that I am, then how do I look around at what I've created and who's around me and, and how do I live my life? And then I think there's this extra piece, which is like, okay, now when we do that, how do we make it super fun? How do we <laughs> like, you know, like how do we make it like really, really fancy and high class, you know, and fun? Like that to me feels just super fun. That so. is good life. And I have to say, Anne, I used to uh, do some really, really inexpensive trips back in the day, like a backpack for like seven months in Europe and Asia and just was sleeping in hostels, doing couch surfing, sleeping on random people's couches for seven months. And um, I realized as I've uh, grown over the years, I like the good life, which is my good life is staying in luxury hotels, <laughs> having breakfast at the seaside villa. Um, yeah. So that's my good life too. And there's nothing wrong with desiring, um, uh, those things that we sometimes think are unreachable or untouchable because you can still do it in the now you can do it in the present and you can find ways to do it. Um, and there's so many ways to do the good life, um, on a budget, but it can be just the good life that you dream of. And the good life can also be, like you said, it can be the simple things. Like it can be just having your favorite Starbucks coffee on your patio on a Saturday morning, um, delivered to you while you're sitting there reading your good book. It could be, going to the park with your kids every single day after you come home from a busy work day. The good life can entail encompass all of those things. And I like what you were just saying earlier. You just have to be bold and courageous and have your very own version of a good life. And just because your good life isn't what you see on Instagram or uh, you know TikTok or Twitter or all those social socials um, doesn't mean that it's not a good life. So um, I really value that in what you said. Go come out of awareness, authenticity, and alignment with your life. It's a really, really good, really, really good tips. So with that, um, and you just started a podcast recently. Well, a couple of months ago, you just started a podcast. What made you go into um, podcasting, and oh. what do you um, share with other nurses? So the podcast is Nurses Living the Good Life, and um, and. And so I talk about all sorts of things, you know, it's a lot of the stuff that I talk about in coaching, whether it's for women to cultivate or my, with my uh, business coaching clients. And we talk a lot about, you know, all the things that get in the way of you defining living. Um, and then, you know, like being in that energy of, of your version of the good life. So whether it's people pleasing and perfectionism or the, I don't know thoughts, or whether it's, um, you know, um, habits or, I mean, there's, 
you know, or, or like all the thoughts that come up when you think about, you get this big idea and you think about it and then you feel very overwhelmed. And all of a sudden you're like, I could totally change my life on Monday. And then Tuesday, you're like, that was a terrible idea. It's <laughs> never going to happen. Right. And so I think, um, I, I, so we talk through, um, a lot of the, I think very practical, you know, thinking that occurs for many of us. It certainly has for me. Um, and I love, I love the po- idea of a podcast. I'm like very introverted. And so I love the idea of having, um, you know, conversations, yeah, me too. <laughs> right. And yeah. I like the idea of having conversations <laughs> and I like to bring people onto the podcast, but I love having conversations and just having space. It feels like journaling to me. Do you know yeah, when yeah. you find that, that, um, that kind of medium that feels really therapeutic and it feels really good. I have, it's funny. I've always been a person who, I love to write and I like, I like journaling. And one of the ways that I used to really get through things, right. Whether it was preparing for a presentation or if it was working through something was I would get in my car, my commute to work used to be about 30 to 35 minutes. And I would talk it out by myself in the car and I would work it out. And I, it would feel so therapeutic just to number one, share it with the universe and get it out of my head. And, you know, and then also to just kind of like work through it in a way that felt um, like I could see it a little differently or I could talk through it or, and so I think podcasting is kind of similar to that. It allows me that ability to talk through things, to think, to give time, to think through them. Um, and so, and the other, you know, the other thing is that I have a lot of consults, you know, I talked to a lot of, of nurses, a lot of healthcare providers in general, and I think the podcast is another way to help more nurses, number one, live the good life, and number two, to change the world. And so for me, every time I get on there, I just think to myself, you know, my my mission is changing the world for nurses by nurses. And every time I get on a podcast, I just ask myself, is this something that can help them change the world? And I, and I, and that allows me that very clear mission allows me to feel like, yes, of course. And I don't know, you know, Marsha, I don't know about you with like whether or not, you know, for, for you podcasts are, you know, useful, but I love listening to podcasts and I think of all the, I love them. Yeah. And I think of all the ones where I've gotten so much value. Yeah. And so for me, it feels like, all right, not everyone is at a point where they desire to do my programs and that's okay. Right. Fine. And if I can support them also with you know, some, some words of wisdom or some powerful thinking that served me and that may also help to serve them. Why not? And that's where it feels like, you know, it's just a fun, it's a fun vehicle. Podcasting is a fun vehicle to do that. So, so yeah, we talk about, you know, all the things I have a lot of um, interviews coming up over the next, um, probably six weeks that'll be with different people that I'm bringing on just to give, you know, their versions of the good life and to show some examples of other nurses who are doing, epic things in the world. And, um, so it'll be good, but I I love it. I I love it too. I'm an introverted person as well. And podcasting is my way of sort of, uh, getting a message out there into the world. And I think it, like you said, I, I think it's such a valuable tool to, um, not only share a message that you have, but share a message of others and others that you feel that can be very, very helpful. And, um, it's my medium of choice. Um, I don't do it as often as I like, but I, um, it's something that I'm, um, really finding the time now to, um, just put more energy into 
to it. And I, I, I just love podcasts. I, this may be the unpopular <laughs> opinion, but I love podcasts more than books, <laughs> but I, you know, so, um, books are one thing I have to work on. I have to work into reading more, but, um, podcasting is my medium and, um, I love it. And you have some really great episodes out right now. And that's, uh, living the good life with Anne Conkley on her podcast. Um, you can find it in, um, Apple, Google, you can find it wherever you find your favorite podcast. And if you don't have a favorite podcast or you're not listening to podcasts, feel free to just, you know, take the leap. You know, a lot of people, I'm still meeting nurses who don't even know what podcasting is which is interesting to me. Um, but yeah, still meeting nurses who don't know what podcasting is. And I think it's a wonderful medium. It's a form of journaling, I guess, for myself. I never thought about that because I actually don't like journaling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, I was talking on, um, our, a prior episode with one of our, on a, our self-care series with Emily Chang. Um, and journaling is one of the things that she does, um, on a daily basis. And, um, I was, uh, and she was telling us that tip, which is good for her and self-care, but this is a form of journaling for me and, um, probably for other podcasters out there who actually love this medium. Um, so it's sort of like listening to an old radio show. I love it. And, and then you get a lot of great knowledge and tips at the same time. Um, and of course there are many various podcasts, different types of podcasts out there. So let's talk about some self-care. Now, recently you just went on a trip, three-week trip. All It just seems glorious. Um, I know you went to Greece, uh, Turkey, and Italy, correct? Yeah. So how was that? <laughs> it was, you know, it's funny because, you know, it's Instagram world. So you got to remember, yeah. right? Anytime <laughs> you travel abroad, it can be, you know, especially in a pandemic, like it can be a shitstorm, And yeah. so it's not, it, which is totally normal. And so um, now, now that being said, <laughs> You know, I look at vacation and I'm going to set the stage for this because mm -hmm. I think it's an important part of just, it's the same, um, it's the same kind of thinking I use around self-care, which is that it's kind of a 50-50 game, right? So for our our trip, we 50-50 yeah. in terms of, right, it's 50% positive, 50% negative. Not because anything went wrong, but because that's <laughs> kind of what human life is. It's not, right? Like right. I'm not a special <laughs> snowflake. I don't, I don't, I'm not absolved of children who are whining, of, right. you know, of temper tantrums by adults, of all sorts of, you know, crazy stuff. So, but it was, um, it was really, it was fun. It's the first trip we've taken, um, abroad since, you know, prior to the pandemic, like, you know, many people not traveling as much. And, uh, we went to, we started off in Italy. We yeah. started off at Lake Como. We went to Milan for a night. We, um, then went down to Rome and showed, um, uh, my boys, the uh, Rome that I knew and loved. Um, and when, from when I was, uh, living there and study there uh, in college, and then we flew to, um, uh, through Athens and then went to Santorini. Yeah. We were in Santorini for a couple of days. Oh, and had a place, one of my favorite places. <laughs> it was, it was so beautiful. The whole toilet, yeah. now the toilet paper issue thing was kind of interesting. I was like, I was so, the gal who had the house. Put it in the trash can. Like yes. you do not flush the toilet paper. <laughs> you can put said, it in the toilet. Oh, I was like, wow, that's so good. I'm so glad you said that because. I had, yeah, she's like, yeah, we don't, you know, this, this island does yeah, not accommodate yeah. toilet paper. So yeah. And um, it's like, even the poopy toilet paper, yes, uh -huh. you oh, put yeah. it in the trash can. You, yeah. You just, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so it, I, it was fascinating, but it, you know, Santorini was, it was beautiful. We stayed in Ia, you know, yeah. at, on the Caldera side and yeah. it was, it, I, it was stunning and there's no other words. It was stunning. And if, it, you know, I've got a ton of pictures up on Instagram, yeah. um, but it was stunning we had a couple of days there and we went to, you know, the beaches and 
and just had good food and, you know, uh, walked around and it was, and, and yeah, the boys, you know, swam in this pool that was at the condo. It was beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and then from there we went to London and visited some, um, friends who are in London, mm-hmm. excuse me. And we had, London was, was beautiful. It was, I, I visited London many, many years ago when I was in high school and I, I have such an appreciation for it now. And it's interesting. I've traveled over, um, my, one of my best friends is in New York and in Manhattan, and we usually go see her at least once a year. And I love Manhattan. I love, I don't love Times Square, but I love, you know, I love the boroughs. I love kind of the, how New York is friendly and it's a uh, neighborhood. Uh, it's got these different neighborhoods and it's, um, friendly to families and to dogs and to life in general, right. With the bodegas and, you know, and it's still urban and London felt very similar in that fashion. It felt very approachable because it's highly walkable. It's got, you know, it's so diverse. It feels like, um, just in terms of the cuisine that's there and people who are there. And I, I love that. I think that's just so, and I, you know, I, I just love it. So, um, so we were in London for a couple of days. We went to Stamford Bridge and did a tour tour of Chelsea Stadium, which is a big family favorite for for my boys, and um, and just had a couple of days to you know kind of explore the city, and um, it was great. Boris Johnson stepped on while we were there, so it was interesting to see how um, you know, society, sure yeah, going on during that time. Yeah, there were yeah. there were a lot of people around, a lot, lot of changes. Yes, a lot. Just observing kind of how their, what happens in terms of their parliament and their legislative process, I, I thought was really interesting. It's a, it's similar to ours and then very different. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, it was a, it was a trip that was, you know, where we had the highest of highs and some of the, you know, lowest of lows. I mean, as is any trip and as is yeah. life. Yeah. Um, so, but it was, it was really good to get away. I shut down my business for about three weeks. I prepped my clients for this for a couple of months. I was like, so I'm going to be gone. We take a pause in, you know, in end of June that to July. <laughs> I'm out, you know, I'm out. And I didn't right. black and I, you know, I, and it was beautiful to create that kind of space and just not work. I just forgot about that. You know, how yeah, it feels yeah. to take off a couple of weeks and, you know, and just people who value that and respect that space. Yeah. Working with clients that you want to work with who actually value that and respect that. Yeah. And to, and to also be a person who sets the example, right? Like who, to be the person who sets the example for what could be possible, right? Like my definition of living the good life is that I take off about roughly about two months a year. I take off a Mm -hmm. sizable chunk about three weeks at, you know, around the holidays. And I take off a good week, at least at Thanksgiving. And I take off a couple of weeks over the summer with my kids and I take off a week or two in the spring. I mean, that's my, you know, that's, that just feels like it's very like restorative and a healthy approach for me personally. And so, um, so it was, it was nice to get away and, um, you know, travel and kind of get back out there after COVID and stuff. So it was good. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, I have this, I think it's same approach to, um, to, I guess, living the good life. Um, I actually, uh, 
do the same thing with trips uh, yearly. Like I have, you know, had three international trips planned this year. I already went done, did one um, uh, in Mexico and stayed there for over a week uh, with some friends. A couple of friends and I went down and then I have a trip uh, planned to Peru in October, a trip planned um, Puerto Rico for Christmas break for a couple of weeks. And so I actually like the idea of uh, having projects and then taking a break from them and coming back and having more projects and taking a break um, and, and going going out. So I think we have some similar um, good life uh, strategies there. So with your with living the good life and doing all these um, authentic things, some of the, the pieces I picked up in self-care was, of course, ask for what you desire is one of the biggest ones um, mm-hmm. that we talked about early on um, in the podcast. Also, your, um, your method, your framework for coaching, um, those are some self-care tenets to me, the being aware of who you are, what you want, and constantly being in tune with that and just being true to that and um, living um, the good life in that way. And if, if you haven't um, known a van, um, if you uh, follow her on any of her social platforms, she is truly authentic. <laughs> Not afraid to drop some F-bombs every once in a while and, you know, tell it like it is, which is um, how you should do. And that's part number two of your, you know, um, strategy is, or living a good life is being um, authentic um, with yourself and then having some alignment. Any other tips you'd like to share? Um, travel is is a big one for me. Um, that's a big one for for, for a lot of people I know, um, but a lot of people don't think travel is that big of a deal for self-care or don't even, um, don't even like to do it. But, uh, for me, it's, it's one of the biggest things for me in self-care, any other, uh, tips or strategies for anybody listening? I think that it's, um, I think one of the, you know, things I see the most is that we, many of us tend not to do self-care because we usually think we don't deserve it or we, you know, there's just not enough time for it. And I think that comes from a place of, um, um, just this, this, this insufficient place, right. Of not considering yourself to be whole and worthy of, of all the things that help you to be the best version of yourself, like for you and me travel, right. feels like it's a, a component that just serves us in a way that you know, not traveling yes. doesn't, right? Or reading books or whatever, right? <laughs> right? Like for you, right? Um, and so, yeah, so, exactly. right? Like self-care would be like, oh, I'm the person who doesn't like to read books. I love podcasts more, but I force myself to read books because I think I should. Yeah. I'm not, you know, like, or it's it, it, like, I think the thinking has to be really clean behind why you choose to do self-care because I think you could do, you know, a massage once a month and it still still wouldn't fix self-care and it wouldn't fix burnout. And so I think if you are a person who says, why don't I invest? Why don't I schedule time every week um, on the calendar, just as I would, you know, uh, to go pick up my kids from school or to pay the bills? Why don't I spend time, um, you know, investing in myself in a way that serves me? And if it's because you have this sense of like, I actually don't know that I deserve, like maybe I don't feel I have this feeling of like, I don't deserve it or there's other things to do that are more important and I need to put other people's, you know, things before my own priorities, before my own. Then I would just say that I think that is the work to do, which just is to say, but is that true? And why? And does that really serve me in becoming kind of this, the best version of myself? Um, and so, because I think when you start to think about your self-care, which looks so different for so many people 
And you start to come at it from like, but if I were going to, if I believed I was um, fully worthy and deserving of all that is good and of being someone who was well-rested, who felt good in her body, who felt free, who, you know, experienced joy, who allowed emotions to be there. If I believed that I was worthy of all that, then what would I, when I was that person, what would I do? What would she do? Right. And so I think that's the question to start asking. Like, so, right. Cause very often, again, you can go travel, you know, for all over the world. And if you don't value right travel, or if you don't think that you're worthy of it, or you're not deserving of it, or, you know, it's too much or it's too showy, right? It won't be a self-care activity. It will be a blaming and shaming and guilt-ridden activity. Um, right. And so, right, right? Like, I yeah. mean, right? we all know people who go on trips. Right. They, um, they're not, you know, there's no component of self-care in there, right? There's, yeah. there's all sorts of other things. So it's the same thing with, you know, so it's it's important to think like, Self-care, it's not outside of me. It's not something that I need to do, right? I don't need to travel to Greece to be in Ia and, uh, you know, in Santorini to see a beautiful sunset to invest nice. in it. It sure helps <laughs> for it some sure of helps, us, right? right? It sure seems real nice throwing a cocktail and like, right. man, you got a recipe for a beautiful night in my opinion, yeah. but, but right. But like, but I think you have to, you have to be willing to say, why don't I think I deserve it now? Why am I not scheduling it in? Why am I not waking up in the morning saying, how am I going to invest in myself today and then invest in others? Why am I not that person? Because that person, the person who invests in herself, who says, yes, of course, I would always get up in the morning. I would always move my body. I would always ask myself what I wanted to choose to think about myself, my body, my business today. Right. If I'm not that person, then, you know, am I okay with that? Is that serving me again? Always comes back to that piece. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it doesn't serve me to be that person. I don't know. It depends on where you want to go. And if you've got big goals, right, it's hard to get there without investing in yourself. In my opinion, not impossible, but it's so much more fun. Yeah. (laughs) It's so much more fun when you're like, you know what? Like, I'm actually going to become that person. Like I'm going to walk every day. I'm going to move my body every day. I'm going to commit to doing the things that I love. Maybe it's podcasting. I'm not going to feel shame about not loving books. I'm going to travel when I can. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to explore. I mean, right. Like that all comes from this very powerful place of just feeling as though because you're human, you are thus ultimately worthy and thus ultimately deserving of all that is good. And it's hard to become the person who gets, you know, who invests in self-care without having, I think, that framework that drives it, you know, that, that type of thinking and those type of emotions that really drive those, those actions that fill your cup. Amazing. Anne. and yeah, sometimes you have to, and sometimes you have to start small. If all of that seems overwhelming and too much, and it's, I'm not the person, it's not me. Well, who am I to deserve this? Sometimes you just start small with that coffee on the back porch, just watching yep. the sunset. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not an EA watching the sunset, it can be on your back porch. <laughs> yeah. It's the 1%, right? Is yeah. it, I, I did yeah. the, that um, Atomic Habits by James Clear and talked about, you know, what would a 1% improvement be like if you really you know, if you really made a commitment or if you're willing to think differently and you're willing to, you know, um, consider becoming a different version of yourself, one that invested in herself without question, without blame, without guilt, 
what could that look like for you? And are you willing to become her? Um, and, and it, why, and why not? And that's always right. Like, I think that gives, gives us a lot of insight yeah, yeah. where, you know, where we otherwise might not get if we're just like, oh, I just like need to apparently go get a manicure Q2 weeks. No, mm -mm. no amount of manicure is going to fix you, you know, right. fix whether or not you feel deserving. Yeah, exactly. Nope. Exactly. Well, and this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, I hope um, those who are listening, I'm sure they have gotten so much out of it and so many gems and so many tips and strategies and um, looking at the best ways you can take care of yourself because we, we all deserve it, even if we don't feel like it. And I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. And, and where can people find you online? You can find me. My website is amconkleycnm.com or you can come find me on social media. It's all at Ann Conkley CNM and uh, see some of the pictures from the trip and, um, and, uh, and always reach out, you know, if you need support. Yes. And we will have all of that information for everybody who's listening in the show notes of this particular episode. And again, thank you, Anne, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was lovely to, to talk with you.